Good morning, everyone. All right. Um, let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, we are, once again, under your word. We take this time to recognize that you have been very good to us. You have been very good to our church, primarily through your word. Lives are changing, perspectives are changing, feelings are changing. Because, Lord, you have graciously provided us with your word and your spirit has persuaded us of its veracity. We pray, dear God, that we once again we pray, we seek that grace this morning. As we talk about your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to do his persuading work so that your kingdom will be built mightily and deeply within the hearts of all of us here. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are back to Genesis um, for the Advent. As you know, we were on 1 John 3, um, and then snow happened, and then we're here. My first sermon of 2019. And as the first sermon of 2019, we're going back to Genesis, right? And now we're in Genesis chapter 11. This is, a t- this is the passage that I always wanted to preach on. But I never preached on this. Can you believe that? Of all the years that I preached, I think I don't think I've ever preached on the Tower of Babel. So this is my chance. So get, com- get comfortable, kids, because we're going to be here for a while. I'm kidding. All right. So we're in Genesis, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 happens after Genesis chapter 10. So before we talk about Genesis chapter 11, let us briefly discuss what is happening in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10 is about the table of nations. Genesis chapter 10 happens after you know the flood. And that's Genesis chapter 9, which Pastor Ujian preached on. Now, Genesis chapter 10 describes the, 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 the nations of men after the flood. Right? And Genesis chapter 10 describes all the nations of the earth started from Noah's three sons. Noah, Noah had three sons. Um, they were, their name were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right? And all the nations of the world came from these three sons. Right? For example, uh, the Asians and the African Americans, right? They're from the descendants of Ham, they say, right? So we're 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 close to our African American brothers and sisters. That's why I I know I see a lot of, you know, Korean teens want to imitate, you know, rap culture, right? Because I don't know, that's a joke, but I mean, it's a, we're both from the descendants of Ham, right? Um, I don't know what the correct, politically correct term for this is. White people, right? White people are from the descendants of Jaspeth, right? And the Hebrews are from the descendants of Shem. So everyone in all the world basically, right, stems from these three gods. In my work, my partner gave out Christmas gifts to the paralegals, and all the paralegals he gave, Ancestry.com. You know that? It's where, you know, white people can trace their heritage, right? And, and so... And so I, I, can, I can tell them, if you can trace back all your heritage, it's going to go back to one of these three guys, Shem, Ham, or Japheth, right? And so that's what Genesis, Genesis chapter 10 is about, the table of nations. And the reason why I start with this is because we're basically from Noah's seed, right? We're not that different human beings. Even though culturally, food-wise, language, we may be different, once again, Genesis chapter ten tells us, because we're in the end come from all all come from Noah, we're not that different, right? So that's Genesis chapter ten. Genesis chapter eleven, right, is about the Tower of Babel. 
So what is puzzling, if you're gonna, if you're gonna prepare a small group, you're gonna read Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 11. And in Genesis chapter 10, it says, you know, they describe all the nations, and it says they had their own language. Right? But Genesis chapter 11 says they had one language. What's up with that? Right? Sean Kimball, I, I was thinking about Sean Kimball, because he was gonna say, what about this? So the reason why Genesis, in Genesis chapter 11 there's one language, and Genesis chapter 10 there's multiple languages, it's because scholars believe Genesis chapter 11, the time period in Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel, comes before the events, certain events in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis chapter 10 is a macroscopic view of all the nations of the world that started from Noah's son. Right? Genesis chapter 11 talks about why men were scattered in the first place. Genesis chapter 10 describes everyone in the world Genesis chapter 11 is the origin story. It's like Star Wars. You start with episode 4, 5, and 6, right? Right? And then you go back to episode 1, 2, and 3. It's like that. Genesis chapter 10 is 4, 5, and 6. All you Star Wars geeks understand. You're smiling at me. Genesis chapter 10 is episode 4, 5, and 6. Genesis chapter 11 is episode 1, 2, and 3. You comprende? All right. So, Genesis chapter 11 is why did man and woman scatter across the world? That's what we're going to talk about today. A little bit of background in Genesis chapter 11. Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel said, scholars say, happens around 700 years after the flood. Right? 700 years after the flood. There are many people, like, been born from the West in 700 years. Right? And so, everyone was kind of, everyone kind of lived in the same place. Right? For 700 years, everyone was kind of localized in the same place. Tower of Babel, second thing about Tower of Babel, number one is happened 700 years after the flood. Number two, Tower of Babel was founded by this guy named Nimrod, right? And Nimrod's nickname was the Great Hunter, the Mighty Hunter, right? So if you look at the old, like old, you know, Middle Eastern writings, they describe Nimrod as a man's man. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the traditional frontier cowboy man who hunts his food, you know? Like, I can't change a spare tire. If I have a spare tire in my home, I gotta call it AAA or Geico. This guy not only can change a spare tire, he can build his own car. A man's man. Right? He doesn't go to Wegmans or Whole Foods to buy his meat. He goes out and kills it and skins it. A man's man. Right? A frontiersman. And this is a guy who founded the Tower of Babel. He was a leader of the, leader of men during the time of the construction of the Tower of Babel. So what, what was this guy Nimrod about? Once again, because he's a man's man, a frontiersman, he is a strong believer that it is up to men to determine his own destiny. Right? Traditional cowboy, he says, I don't need no God. It is up to, I can, I can forge my own destiny with my hands. Right? We don't need the superstitious God. Men's destiny depends upon his own choosing. Right? Right? Man's man tend to think that way. And he persuaded, as a leader, he persuaded the, the, the citizens of humanity to do that. So the Tower of Babel was founded by a guy who says, let's, let's displace God. We don't need God. We can make our own destiny. We can be our own gods. Does this sound familiar? I can determine what is right for me. I'm going to construct my own world. I don't need God. Where have you heard this before? Answer me. Where have you heard this before? Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve follow humanity. Once again, 
Satan comes and whispers in Nimrod's ear, Hey, Nimrod, you don't need no God. You can make determination of what is right and good, good and bad. You can forge your own world. Right? You follow your heart and make it happen. And Nimrod said yes. And he convinces other people to say yes. And therefore, they build that tower. Once again, we're going back to the nucleus of sin. What is the nucleus of sin? The nucleus of sin is self-determination. I don't need God. I really don't. I have to say, I have to final say what is appropriate and inappropriate for me. I can build my own destiny. Things have to go the way that I planned it. That is what the world is about. I am the final arbitrator of what is awesome and not, awesome and right. That, my dear friend, once again, I'm telling you over and over again, that is the nucleus of the heart of sin. All sin comes, stems from this heart of self-determination. And then build the Tower of Babel based on this self-deterministic understanding of themselves. So if you look at the accounts of the Tower of Babel, you, like, you see three specific sins. That the man, that, that, that the man of the Tower of Babel is committing against the Lord. I think for those of us who know this story, we think the, 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 the Tower of Babel teaches us about the pride of men, which is true, but there are other sins that men are committing while they're building the Tower of Babel. Right? And we're gonna talk about what those sins are. Sin number one. The sin that the man in the Tower of Babel is committing, number one, it is men are using their words to rebel against God. Men are using their language to rebel against God. Right? Verse 1 says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Think about it. But if you, so everyone had one language and they could communicate using that one language. Now let's think about why men have language. Why do we speak? language. Why do we why do we why do we have the ability to make certain sounds with our lips and a fellow human being understands what the sounds of my lips are coming from? That's language. Why do we have the capacity to speak and understand language? Theologically, I don't know anthropology anthropologically, you know, go ask Ricky or something, but theologically, men have the ability men and women have the ability to speak language. Because men and women are made in the image of God. And God is a God who communicates. If you look at the Bible, God is a God who communicates. God is, God is the mute God. He is constantly speaking things into existence. He's not silent. He's speaking all the time. Do you know that? For example, in the most molecular level, protons, atoms, photons, I don't know what the molecular level is, but I know no atom or molecule stays, like, stays, stays, like, like, dormant, right? They're always constantly moving. They're shooting off electrons or whatever, and they're constantly, cells and atoms at a molecular level are constantly communicating. Did you know that your cells communicate with one another? Did you know that? Did you know in yourself there's constant exchanging of information that is happening within you? There's so much information that is happening within you right now. You just don't know it. That information flowing through you biologically is the speech of God. 
There is reality speech that's happening in those trees out there. Photosynthesis. That's all I remember about biology. Photosynthesis. There is the sun and the transferring information to vitamins or nutrients or whatever and make those trees live. It's information. The whole world is information. The whole universe is information. It is. Why? Because God is a God who speaks. He speaks things into creation. He sustains things with his voice. Right? Astrophysicist says the universe was created by huge sound waves. It is the sound waves that form the existence to be. That is the voice of God. God not only speaks in natural creation, he speaks personally to his people through his word. Did you know that? Did you know God speaks to his people constantly through his word, through his Holy Spirit? Do you know God speaks? One of the best and one of the most loveliest things that I do these days is I have a treadmill at home, right? And, and what I do is I set the treadmill on speed 1.5. I barely walk. I put my iPad on my treadmill, open up the Bible, and I walk, and I read, and I pray. And I do this for like 40, 50 minutes a day. That's why I don't lean in trim, right? But when you do this, when you walk and speak and read and talk to the Lord, He really does speak to you. I mean, not voice, because I'm not crazy, right? But, like, in my conscience, He makes me see the dumb things that I do. Like, oh yeah, that, that was a dumb thing. He makes me realize valuable truth. Most of these sermons are born as I'm walking and thinking about the Lord. When I'm worried about things, when I walk with him, I get perspective. Yesterday, I fought with my son for the first time. Right? He rebelled, teenager. I go, oh my gosh, I didn't know how this feels. And so like, I went to the Lord at 1 o'clock, 1 a.m. in the morning, start walking and reading the Bible, and I get perspective about what are, you know, the condition of my son and my condition. It's amazing. God constantly speaks to me through His Word. And I'm, and it isn't because I'm some super holy spiritual guy. No, it is because that's the benefit of being a child of God. Do you understand? God constantly speaks to us. It's a matter of whether you're opening your ears, listen to Him. We have language. And God has given us language because God is a God who communicates. And God has given us language to speak truth to one another. The very purpose of language is for us to speak truth to one another, for us to express love for each other, for us to glorify God with our words. That's the purpose of speech. But the people in the Tower of Babel are using the speech, the oneness, to rebel against God. That's what they're doing. They have one speech, so they're, they're talking to each other to scheme against God. It's because their hearts are far away. How do we know men's hearts were far away? Verse 2. As the people migrated from the east, they found the plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. I didn't know this. This is very interesting. This is for you Bible geeks out there. In Genesis... Whenever it's mentioned that people are going east, it means people's hearts are going far from God. Right? How do you know? When Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, cherubim guarded the entry at the east side of the garden. Right? When Lot left Abraham, he traveled east to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? 
Abraham's son's concubine, right, was sent away from his son Isaac and had, headed eastward. Jacob, you know, Jacob, when he you know swindled Esau out of his birthright, which direction did he head? He went east. So in Genesis, if you go towards east or from east, if the word east is mentioned, it's because it, it symbolizes that you've sinned and you're moving against God. And so the, so the, so the, so the Genesis writer is saying, these men's hearts were far, are going, moving away from God. Therefore, they're using their language to rebel against Him. We use our language. We use language to, 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 to go, to go against God, do we not? How do we do this? We use language, for example, to, to, to embrace falsehoods rather than truth. Everything that we read and we listen and we and we view is languages, right? And the thing that we watch, we tend to watch false things more than truthful things. That's rebellion, isn't it? It is clear the truth of God is out there. But rather than going to the truth of God, we prefer language that represents falsehood rather than God. Netflix or the Bible. Right? Korean drama or the Bible. That's nothing wrong with Netflix and Korean drama. I'm a fan of Korean dramas. God bless them. But if there's more exposure to Netflix and Korean drama than the truth, it, it is, we're saying the falsehood is better than the truth. Yes, you can take a vacation to Netflix and Korean drama once in a while, but if our predominant obsession in our lives is entertainment through these means, it's because we're saying truth doesn't matter as much as falsehoods. Right? Not only that's one way we rebel against God, second way we rebel against God is we use our language to hurt His people. Right? We use our language to hurt the church, hurt the other people of God through gossip, slanders, you know, falsehoods. And three, we rebel against God by not using our language to spread the gospel. God has given us language to spread the gospel to the world. But we close our mouths and not do what, language, what, what we're called to do. Just like the men of the Tower of Babel use their language rebelling against God, so do we. This first sin of the Tower of Babel. Second sin of the Tower of Babel, the men come in the Tower of Babel, is, once again, we know this, is, second sin they committed is, is they want to displace God and they want to build their own cities. Right? Second sin that they committed, the men of Tower of Babel is committing, is they want to build their city and displace God. They want to build their own reality, right? They want to create what they define as what, what, what the world should be, and they want to displace God. And we do that too. Let's, let's read verse 3. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Right? Why did the Why did Moses, the, the Genesis, the Genesis writer, include that language? Men who built the Tower of Babel, right, decided to burn, build their city with bricks rather than stone. Why did Moses include that language here? He included to to convey the foolishness of men. Because if you are, like, you know, like a, like a, you know, if you are a reader of the scriptures back in like five thousand years ago, 
you would know stone is a stronger material than brick. I made a mistake in when I was describing where Asians came from. Asians, Asians didn't come from Ham. We came from Shem. I was course corrected, so thank you. So we, so once again, Hebrews come from Shem, and then Shem had two sons. One son is the father of Hebrews, and the other son is the father, went east, and we're, we're descendants of them. So, so we're not, you know, once again, we're all children of Noah. That's literally course, course correction. So let's talk about the second sin that the sons of Adam, the people of Tower of Babel committed. Um, I will try to adjust the sermon so that we won't go too long. So the second sin that they committed is again we stopped at the at the part where the uh, second sin they com- that they committed against the Lord in the tower in the building is they wanted to displace God and they wanted to build their own city. They wanted to build their own reality, right? Once once again, if I'm the determiner of what is good and right, it is very natural for me to build my own world. And that's what they're doing. But the problem is, is that these men who were away from God were foolish. And that's what we talked about before we got interrupted. Right? So the reason why Moses put, like, put verse 2 where he describes that they wanted to build the city with bricks rather than stone is because if you're living in the Middle East during this time, when you were reading this part, you'll, fi- you'll figure out the foolishness of what they're doing. Because a stone is stronger than brick. But rather than using the natural resources of stone, they choose to, they choose to put extra work for themselves by building the city with bricks. So if you are someone who lived in the Middle East two, two three thousand years ago, you will see the foolishness of what these guys are doing. So the writer is trying to convey, trying to construct a reality apart from God's reality. Is utter foolishness. And that's what these guys are doing. Foolishly, they try to displace God and build a city for themselves. So they, 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 they are building a city. And what does a city symbolize? City symbolizes my own world. Right? My own reality. And that's what people do, right? That's what, that's what people do all the time. We, we build, we want to build cities for ourselves. We want to build reality for ourselves, right? I, I, I don't think none of us are like super, like egomaniacally ambitious. We don't want to be the next Donald Trump, or we don't want to be the next, you know, like Steve Jobs or Zuckerberg. None of us are super ambitious here, but we all still want to build our own little cities. Maybe our cities are—it's the American dream, right? Get married, have two beautiful kids, have a nice house in Centerville, and live life quietly like that. And that doesn't sound super ambitious or invasive or prideful, and it's not. And having two, having a house in Centerville, having two lovely kids, having a job as a lawyer is all fine. But the problem is, if that is how you define what life is supposed to be, if you are taking God out of that entire picture and says, regardless of whether God exists or not, that's the city I want to build, then the motive is the very same to be the builders of the Tower of Babel. Right? And we see this behavior all the time, especially people who purport to be Christians, who miss church, like left and right. Not any of you, you guys are lovely. 
But they choose to miss church. They choose not to gather with the people of God because they're busy either taking their kids to children's birthdays or they're, do, they're doing this event and that event because they're busy trying to construct a reality apart from God. Not only do they want to build a city, they want to build a tower. And the reason why they build a tower high enough to touch the skies because they thought God existed in heaven. God existed in the skies. Because they're ancient men, they thought God physically resided in the skies. And therefore they said, if they build a tower high enough, if they can reach the sky, then they won't need God anymore. So they try to displace God. Right? And the third reason, and, and, what, and, and the reason why they did this is because they want to make a name for themselves. They want their glory. They want their names to matter. God's name is the only name that should be glorified. Because rightfully so. Because God is the only one who is awesome and great. And this is His world. Therefore, it is perfectly fitting for His name to be glorified. But men, because they didn't want to displace God, they're more interested in my name being glorified. My name making a difference. Human beings still do this. We displace God with our dreams. We're more interested in making a name for ourselves, right, than the name of God being glorified. It's true. And you can see that. I can see it personally in, in pastors and churches. Pastors and churches, there are a lot of pastors and churches out there who are more interested in building the name of their church in their community rather than doing the things of God, rather than teaching the things of God and committing to the things of God, they're more interested in building a name for themselves. Pastors are more interested in building a name for themselves rather than being the messenger of God. And and to be honest with you, that's what was partly in me when I came here four years ago. If I look back, if I can confess, I think that I came in this... I mean, I came with intentions to preach God's word, and that's true, but there was also a secret ambition in me to make Embrace name relevant to this community. It's true. I'm embarrassed to say, but it's true. I wanted Embrace to be the next, I don't know, ODP, CCPC, whatever it is. I want Embrace to mean something in this community. And there was that secret desire in me. The secret desire in me to say, to make a name for myself, to make a name for this church in this community. And that's what people do all the time. Wanting to build a name for myself. Wanting to build my own reality. And we do it too. And the third sin that these guys committed is they wanted to, they wanted to stay local rather than going to the four corners of the earth. God's commandment to Adam, God's commandment to Noah is to go forth from all the nations and be fruitful and multiply. God's commandment was, people of God, go out to the world and glorify God in the four corners of the world. That's a clear commandment of God. God never says, stay just be concerned about the local things. He says, go out to the four corners of the world and multiply. What do these guys do? Verse 4. Is it verse 4? I think it's verse 4. They want to build a city, they said, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They say, we want to build a city so that we can stay together. 
the sin of human beings is we don't want to go out to glorify God in the four corners of the world. Why has God created us? It is so that we will glorify Him over all the earth. Well, what does it mean to glorify Him? To testify who He is through what we say, how we live, right? That's what we, that, if, if by, the, by the way we act, all these things, when, people, when the world looks at us, we'll say they'll know God exists. People of God are called to carry God's reality and message throughout the four quarters of the earth. And these guys, they don't want to do that. They want to build a city so they can be local. And if we're honest with ourselves, and that's what we do too. Jesus says, go to the fourth, all the nations, and make disciples of all nations. But a lot of people don't want to carry the message of the Bible out there. We just want to stay comfortably in our church. And I'm not saying all of us should go out and be missionaries. But by the grace and the providence of God, you are living in a time and place, especially in this place, where the world comes to you. D.C. is the most diverse city, one of the most diverse cities in the world, because everyone in the world comes to D.C. You don't have to go out to the mission fields to be exposed to non, to people who are different from you. They're coming to you. They're, they're here. They're in your workplace. Right? And God says, go spread, spread your word. Be witnesses of, of my name. But the temptation is, we don't want to do that. We just want to stay comfortable in our local church. So sins that these men are committing, is, once again, they're using language to rebel against God. They want to displace God and make their own realities. Right? And then three, they don't want to go out. They want to stay local. And these are the things that we do. And these are the things that God, you know, God has issues with. Therefore, what does God do? It says in verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. What does it mean for the Lord to come down? The image that this image, the, the, the thing, the image that this portrays is like God is so high up in heaven. God is so huge, and when men are doing it so small, it's like little ants doing something. The image is God coming down to see what they're doing, right? Men have this huge plan. Oh, I want to build a city. I want to replace God, and God is up there. Huh? What are you doing? And she's like looking at it. Huh? Their plan to have for themselves is huge. But to God, it is so small and inconsequential. In our minds, we have huge dreams for ourselves, don't we? I want to go to this place. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to build my own reality. And we think the reality that we want and we, that we want to build for ourselves is so important. But, maybe we should be humble enough to the point where, from God's perspective, our plan, as important as they may seem to us, and from God's perspective, from the perspective of eternity, maybe it's not that important. Maybe you making a name for yourself, maybe us making a name for ourselves in this community, is not that important to the eyes of God. It's small. 
Maybe the thing that you're having your heart breaking over right now. I don't know why your heart's Maybe your heart's being broken because you don't have the job that you want. Or maybe your heart's being broken because you don't have the relationship that you want. I don't know what, what your heart, heart is breaking for. But perhaps humility is needed to understand. These things that are breaking your heart from the perspective of God is very small. They're more important things than the sight of God. Thing that we're concerned about is my son going to college. My son will be 12th grade. He's going to college next year. And my wife is always constantly talking about it. She's she, she a college counselor. But from the perspective of eternity, where he ends up is not as important as other things that God has in mind. What are the other things that God has in mind? More important than the dream that you have for yourselves. What is important is salvation. The changing of your heart. The changing of your nature. That's why God comes. And He goes, what are you guys doing? And God realizes, these guys, right? Because they're of the same language. God says, if we don't leave them alone, they're going to start doing whatever they want. What is the problem of men doing whatever they want? The problem is men are evil and sinful and selfish. And if they, and if men are united in single cause and single language, they can do much destruction to the world. So in order for God to stop them from causing further destruction to the world, God confuses their language. God judges them so that they will be, so that the world will be saved. Do you understand? He wants to stop men from doing more evil in the world. And if they're united, that's gonna be more possible. So to save the world, God says, I'm gonna confuse them. He judges them. God's judgment is always a prelude to His grace. That's what the Tower of Babel is telling you. God judges them so that He can save the world. That's what salvation is. The judgment of God so that He could save people. Our greatest need is salvation. More so than the realization of your plan is your salvation. More important than the realization of the city that you want to build for yourself, it is for God to make you the citizen of His city. That's the most important work. And if it takes unemployment or not being married or anything, if it takes that to make you a citizen of his city, then God's going to do it because that's the most important thing. How does God save you? Through judgment and grace. The judgment that befalls upon Christ. Why did judgment befall upon Christ? Because of our sins. What is our sin? Sin is this power over us that makes us believe that we're the, we're the, we're the center of our own destinies. The Tower of Babel men think, believe they can displace God, believe the city they build for themselves is the most important, believe that they can rebel against God, all because they have this power over them, all because sin has power over them, and they can't see any other way. Have you ever tried to talk to an unbeliever? You try to preach the gospel to them, and they just don't get it. 
They think it's utter foolishness and nonsense. Why? It is the power of sin. They think that God is irrelevant. And something has to be done with this power over sin. And that is what the cross is. Jesus Christ, by dying for us on the cross, takes the power of sin onto himself. And when he is crucified, sin is destroyed. And when we believe in him, that power of sin that says God is irrelevant is taken away. And we are given new natures where we begin to see that God is right. His city is right. His plan is right. And we are wrong. Do you understand? The way God saved us is He gives us Jesus Christ so that we will become different from the men of the Tower of Babel. How do you know you're saved? Number one, you're saved. The way way you know you're saved is your priority, the city that you want to build for yourself, changes. It changes. I'll give you an example. Look, I'm making great time. There's a guy, I started my legal career like, I don't know, 15 years ago. A small Korean general practice law firm in Annandale, right? I started interning there, right? And the lawyer that I worked for, he's a great guy, was not a believer, right? And he was always thinking about making more money, right? And he says, Mr. Mr. Lee, what do you want for yourself? And I said, you know, I don't know, a job with $100,000? He always says, $100,000, not big money. $200,000, not big money. You gotta think about big money. So he was always thinking about big money, right? That was like, I knew him like, that was him 15 years ago. But by the providence of God, my wife's church, a Korean congregation is renting out my wife's, like, space for my wife's church, right? And Lord and behold, that man that I started working for 15 years ago, he's one of the active members of that church. And my wife, like, because their staff and the Korean staff had lunch with him last week, my wife talked with the, my former boss who thinks big, who believed in big money. And she says, that guy changed. He says he is totally pouring himself out for that church. The guy who was an atheist, the guy with the big money, those dreams are gone. All he's doing, he's pouring his life for that church because he got converted. Before the plan was big money. Now is the city of God. And that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about the American dream. He doesn't care about where his kids go to college. He cares about the building of the kingdom of God. And that's the evidence of salvation. The city he wanted to build is irrelevant. The city of God matters. That's how you know that you're saved. Are you progressively interested in more about the city of God than your own city? It's not going to happen overnight, I know, but is there a progression in your life where the things of God seem to matter more than the plan that you have for yourself? If it is, that's how you know that you are the citizen of the city of the kingdom of God. Second way that you know. And and if he does, the second way that you know, Oh, and, and, and another example is, look, like, never mind, time says, I'll, I'll move on. But that's how you know, the, 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 the interest in the city of God is growing, increasing, and your plan for yourself is decreasing. Second way that you know that you're growing in the, growing, the, growing in the Lord is, you start going out 
and you start truly witnessing for the sake of the Lord. I think it's true. Look, is Dr. J here? I asked, I, to, I, I asked Dr. J for this permission, right? Dr. J, God bless him. I love the guy, right? Publicly to declare my love for the love for this man. One of the main reasons why I love for this man is, you know, he's a chiropractor, right? He's a chiropractor, and the way he practice, the way he treats people, he not only fixes their back, but he's constantly talking to all of his patients about God. To the point where, like, people are just like waiting, like, 30, 40 minutes because he's like so focused on talking about to God about other people. Most of the people that comes is come to see him, they get a preaching. From Dr. J. And why does Dr. J do that? Is it because he's a super holy Christian? No. But simply, Dr. J knows that God is true. And because God is true, he cannot talk about, not, not talk about him. Evangelism is a natural byproduct of our persuasion of the reality of God. When God is real, talking about him is truth. And, when, and, and, and talking about him is like, Talking like as if, as if you're telling other people two plus two is four. It's just the natural thing. That's what we're called to do. Look, two weeks ago, on a Friday, like you know, like like I was I was supposed to go home because you know I had like you know like deacons meeting to prepare and sermons to prepare for, but I ended up staying at the office until like seven thirty eight o'clock on a Friday. Why? Because I was preaching straight out the gospel to, to two of my paralegals. I was straight up preaching the gospel to them. One's a Muslim, one's an atheist, I believe trained atheist. I was teaching the gospel. I'm just waiting for the day the HR comes to me and fires me. And why do I share the gospel to these two young men? It is because I'm a pastor? No. Is it because I'm a super Christian? No. Why? It is because simply the gospel is true. It's true. Therefore, it just comes out of my mouth. Is it true to you? The way you know that you're truly being persuaded by the gospel is evangelism becomes a natural thing. Evangelism is not you converting people. You can't convert anyone. Like, I can't convert my son. I can't convert you. It is simply sharing in the truth of God. Tower of Babel men, right? They want to stay local. They wanted to use their words to rebel against God. When Christ starts to have his work in you, you start to use your lips, testify to truth, and you start you wanted to take your take the truth to the to as many people as possible. It's a reverse of the condition of the Tower of Babel. And that's what Jesus does, you, you know. Living like this, living for the city of the kingdom of God. Living to build his, living to evangelize, to witness to other people. That's what Jesus means in Matthew 7 of building your life on the rock. Jesus says in Matthew 7, do not build your house on sand. Where when the waves come, it's going to just disappear and fade away. No, Jesus said, build your house on a rock so that your life will stand out throughout eternity. The cities that we want to build for ourselves, the names that we want, we are so obsessed with ourselves. These things, as more, as important as they think it, it, they are to you right now, in the perspective of eternity, they don't really matter. They don't matter. It doesn't matter from the perspective of eternity who you were, who you were married to. It doesn't really matter what kind of job that you had. The city that you want to build for yourselves, in the perspective of eternity, it will be forgotten. 
That's what Jesus says. Don't build your house on sand. Build your house on the rock of Jesus Christ. Where you build the city of the kingdom of God. Where you evangelize His name to the four corners of the earth. That's what Jesus come to do. Jesus come so that you can, you can become such a person. I pray. May the grace of God be upon us so that we will not be like the men of the Tower of Babel. But we will be new citizens of the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Let's have to examine ourselves. Are you more obsessed with this version of, of, of reality that you want to build for yourself? Are you more obsessed with the dreams of owning a home or, or being married or having kids? And those are all fine. But are those the primary motive in which you think life is about? Or is your motive about building the kingdom of God? Is your motive making a name for yourself? Or is your motive of life glorifying the name of God? Christ can transform you into a person, from a person who builds reality on sand, into a reality, into a person who builds his reality on the kingdom of God. Christ can change you to do that. If you're the former, if you're more obsessed with your plans in this world, I pray that you repent and ask the Lord to, to, to change you. And if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, ask the Lord so that you can, that you can hear His voice more clearly in your life. You, as through His word, through His spirit, ask the Lord to, so more, for more audible understanding of His voice so that you will continually live for the kingdom of God. Let us pray these things and we'll end.